1: The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. On the programme this week, the race for the Republican nomination heats up in the United States.
2: Romney is a plausible contender, a very formidable money raiser, and the rest of the field is pretty weak. So he's almost front-runner by default.
1: Yemen on the brink of collapse.
3: The situation now seems to be very, very serious indeed. What began last week as fighting that was limited just to one area of the capital now seems to have spread, and there's rumours of tribal fighters coming in from outside to support the al Ahmar clan, and, and the whole country is running out of fuel, water.
1: And an E. coli outbreak in Europe creates a rift between Spain and Germany.
4: It is, I fear, a bit of a classic case of perhaps German over-cautiousness being compounded by Latin irritation in Spain.
1: But first, the United States and the race for the White House in 2012. Joining me in the studio all the way from Washington is our columnist there, Clive Crook. Clive, so Mitt Romney is declared this week, and everybody seems to say that he's the front runner, but without much confidence. Why is that?
2: Well, he is a very odd front runner because, you know, his signature policy, a health care reform, is so detested by most Republicans. I I was going to say many Republicans, but it's most. So, um, Uh, You know, he's very vulnerable on that score, and yet he is a plausible uh, contender, a very formidable money raiser, and the rest of the field is pretty weak. So he's almost front-runner by default.
1: And he also does have credentials as he was a, a successful businessman, and a successful governor, if one puts aside the fact that, as you say, his signature success was something that's more associated with Democrats' health care reform?
2: Oh, sure. I mean, uh, you know, it's important to make the distinction here between how appealing he is to the Republican primary electorate and how appealing he would be to the country as a whole. Actually, I think, you know, he would be a plausible contender in the general election. I think he does have a lot of strengths. He was an effective governor. He's a sort of polished speaker. He's acquired a deserved reputation f- for flip flopping on issues. But, you know, he looks the part that goes a long way in American politics. I think in the general election, he could, you know, give Obama a run for his money. But the problem is getting the nomination. I mean, he is a very curious candidate in the Republican primaries because um, many Republicans regard him as really not one of them. You know, they regard him as a rhino, Republican in name only. Romney is really the sort of paradigm example of that.
1: And what about the the figure that fascinates everybody outside the United States and also, I gather, many people inside the US, Sarah Palin? Now, she clearly isn't a Republican in name only. She The base love her, but she has the opposite problem, is that she exactly. appears to be unelectable in a general election.
2: One hopes so. <laughs> <laughs> she is a cultural conservative of the of the purest kind, the, the base of the party adores her. And even though I, I think they must be sure that she couldn't win a general election, I think you know, she would have a lot of support if she if she ran for the nomination. But her negatives with the electorate as a whole very, very high. And the fact is, you know, she simply hasn't developed policy positions On most of the questions, she will be asked if she were to win the Republican nomination and run in the general election. I mean, she just just doesn't seem to have worked through positions on the issues.
1: Do we even know if she's running? Do you think she will?
2: Actually, I would be surprised if in the end she does run, even though she appears to be sort of going through some of the motions. There's an argument among commentators about whether this tour she's doing at the moment is just a sort of publicity stunt or whether she is actually testing uh, other waters for a run at the nomination. My guess would be that she actually hasn't decided, and um, and she'll wait and see.
1: What about the others? I mean, we talked about the two big figures maybe at the moment, Palin and, and Romney, but we've other people are coming forward, Tim Pawlenty from the Midwest and, and so on. If you had to put your money on somebody, a terrible question, but who, who do you reckon?
2: I think I'd prefer to think Tim Pawlenty as the other big figure rather than Palin, I think. Uh, Romney and Pawlenty are the serious candidates, and as I said, I will be a little bit surprised if in the end Palin does run, and if she does run, I'll be surprised if she wins, even the Republican nomination, despite the passion she arouses in the party, because I think most people understand that she couldn't win the general election. Lenty is a serious figure. His main problem, I think, at the moment is that he doesn't have much name recognition. People don't know who he is. They don't know much about him. But he is, I think, a plausible guy, another successful governor. He has some negatives, a little bit like Romney, with the Republican Base, You know, he's tangled with things like the carbon tax and and so forth. But he is a serious guy, and I can imagine him doing tolerably well in a general election. And one shouldn't also forget John Huntsman, an extremely effective speaker with a good track record of achievement in several dimensions, including ambassador to China. For Obama. For Obama. And again, of course, the Republican base hesitates (laughs) at that. But if he were to get the nomination, I think he also would be a pretty plausible candidate. I think he could launch a reasonably effective campaign against Obama. Again, you know, like Romney, his challenge will be getting the nomination.
1: And finally, of course, the one thing that's in all of these guys' favour and Sarah Palin's favour as well, not a guy, is the economy, which is beginning to look really in trouble again.
2: Absolutely. I think the economy is is, uh, giving serious grounds for concern. And it's kind of underlining this extraordinary dysfunction in Washington as the economy stalls out. As the latest numbers suggest it might be doing, Washington is flailing around uselessly over phony arguments about the debt ceiling. Quite, it's quite, quite in, incredible. There is a question, you, you know, who would be more hurt by a high unemployment rate next year? I think it's generally taken for granted that it would be Obama. But I wonder, it kind of depends what happens between now and then. I mean, for instance, if there is an accidental default on the debt ceiling, if there is a default, even though nobody wants a default, it just happens because of all this fooling around that's going on in Washington now. It could be that the Republicans will get the blame for that and maybe then acquire some of the blame for a, a flailing economy, faltering economy next year.
1: Clive, thank you very much. Let's move to Yemen, where Ali Abdullah Salah, the country's president, is fighting for his survival and his country seems to be on the point of disintegration. Joining me on the line from Beirut is the FT's correspondent, Abigail Fielding-Smith. Yemen, I mean, everything I read about it, not least by you, suggests that this is a state now that's on the brink of collapse.
3: We've been saying that Yemen is on the brink of collapse for quite a long time, and it's often seen on the verge of disaster and then pulled itself back at the last minute. But the situation now seems to be very, very serious indeed. What began last week as fighting that was limited just to one area of the capital now seems to have spread, and there's rumours of tribal fighters coming in from outside to support the al Ahmar clan, and, and the whole country is running out of fuel, water it's just really very difficult to see how they're going to pull back and achieve stability from this.
1: President Saleh has repeatedly been apparently close to stepping down and then just refuses at the last minute.
3: Quite a lot of analysts say that, in fact, the current fighting is simply you know, the latest diversionary tactic from a president who keeps signalling his willingness to step down from power when under pressure but, but never actually wants to do it when it comes down to it. And this is a man who's always focused on short-term political survival at the expense of everything else.
1: What role for the outside world? I mean, the Americans have been trying to ease him out. Now they find that special forces trained by the US are are slugging it out in this civil war.
3: Which is very embarrassing and and indicates how little at this point Salah is really concerned about international opinion or, or the opinion of his sort of sometime allies in Washington. It's very difficult to see what anyone can do right now. There was this gulf focused initiative which broke down a couple of weeks ago, giving rise to this fighting. It's not clear what leverage would persuade people to start acting more responsibly. One of the key issues, people say, is money. You know, The country is, is possibly weeks away from economic collapse. And if Salah is still getting money from allies such as people in Saudi Arabia. If there's some way that those taps could be turned off, that might be something which would change the situation, but it's very murky and, and you know, no one's really sure exactly you know what his assets are or where are getting assistance from.
1: And meanwhile, the suffering of ordinary people seems to be getting pretty acute. I mean, if they can't have access to, to water, that's about as bad as it gets.
3: Apparently, the, the price of water has more than tripled in uh, the capital, which was sort of running out of water anyway before this all happened. Then over 150 people killed in the last 10 days, and it seems to be getting worse. Even before the fighting started, this was a country with the second highest child malnutrition rates in the world, with close to 40% unemployment and people living on the very margins of survival now facing a civil war. I mean, an indication of how bad the situation is is that a large number of Somali refugees who came to Yemen from Somalia are now going back. They'd rather be in Somalia than in Yemen.
1: Thanks very much, Abigail. Now to our final topic for today, the growing anger among Spanish government ministers over Germany's handling of the outbreak of E. coli, the deadly bacterial infection, which has already claimed a number of lives. Joining me on the line from Berlin is FT's Bureau Chief Quentin Peel. Quentin, we're talking now towards the end of the week on Friday. Is there any sense yet that this outbreak is under control?
4: Well, I fear not, certainly not in terms of discovering where the origin of the infection has come from. All the laboratories are working, as you would imagine, pretty frantically to try and do this. They have at least analysed the bug involved and therefore think that they may be able pretty rapidly to come up with some medical remedies for the people who've got infected. But uh, as for actually stopping the thing spreading, that's not happening yet. It does look as a little bit as if it may be slowing down, but there was a false signal of that earlier this week. It's a pretty scary infection.
1: Meanwhile, it seems to become, well, it has become a kind of international diplomatic problem as well. Let's look at Russia first, this rather extraordinary decision to ban all EU agricultural exports it sounds like a massive overreaction. Do you think there's kind of political subtext to it?
4: I think there always is a bit with the Russians. I think they like to show that they are purer than pure, whereas those who know conditions perhaps inside the Russian market might be a bit dubious. So I think that Vladimir Putin is making a statement to his domestic audience. Having said which, people are quite scared because they don't know where it came from. What we've got to say, I suppose, straight away, is that the focus of this outbreak is very clearly on North Germany. And the great majority of cases of infections and also deaths, and there have now been 17 deaths, are in North Germany and Hamburg, the city of Hamburg in particular. So it does seem a bit crazy for the Russians to be sort of banning stuff from all over the place. Having said that, it's a classic overreaction.
1: Meanwhile, it's also caused a diplomatic incident between Germany and Spain with the Germans' apparently falsely blaming the initial outbreak on, on Spanish produce. And I suppose is that to be set against the background of rising tensions between southern Europe and Germany and the debt crisis and all of that?
4: I think that the Spanish reaction does have to be seen in that context. There's been sort of growing irritation, no, anger even, in the southern countries that's sort of being lectured to by the north and now they see a classic case where, in fact, they they see the North having overreacted. The Germans are embarrassed by this, there's no doubt, but having said that, they're defending... The way they've gone about this, the first laboratory to come up with any evidence of E. coli bacteria on fruit and vegetables found evidence on Spanish cucumbers. It then took them another four days to actually work out that this was not the E. coli causing the outbreak. It still was E. coli. So they're defending themselves and saying, well, there shouldn't have been any of this bacteria on Spanish cucumbers, so we were justified in saying there was. It is, I fear, a bit of a classic case of perhaps German overcautiousness being compounded by Latin irritation
1: in Spain. Quentin, thank you very much indeed. That's it for this week. My thanks to Clive Crook in the studio, to Abigail in Beirut, to Quentin in Berlin, World Weekly's produced by LJ Filatrani... Until next week, goodbye.
4: For more downloads, go to FT.com forward slash podcasts.
0: Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.
3: Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface.